You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Maps. Now, Onyx is a digital mapping app that you download directly to your phone, mobile device, and you can even use it on your desktop. But what is great about it, the functionality here, is that you can drop waypoints and you can mark tree stand locations. You can mark trail camera locations, scrapes, rubs, bedding areas. You can document all that. So it's like a living journal of your properties that you hunt. Now, what's great about this, it can be used on a small scale, let's say like a 40 acre farm, or like we did on our mule deer hunt out west, this 33,000 acre uh, big chunk of public ground. It can allow you to document everything that you've seen on there as well, glassing points where the mule deer were coming in and out and so much more. If you want to find out more about the functionality of Onyx, visit onyxmaps.com. And for first-time users, you can use the discount code NATION20 for 20% off. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, brought to you by Expedition Archery. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 55, where we talk with my buddy, John Ferkowitz on becoming an elk guide. Hello, and thanks again for tuning into the Transition Wild Podcast, the number one source for Western big game hunting. Well, I just got back from my third season rifle elk hunt here in Colorado and it uh it didn't pan out as I hoped I didn't I didn't get an elk I have a private land cow tag and then I had a over-the-counter third season bull tag and had some decently close calls I just didn't want to rush a shot and and wound an animal I'm not super super comfortable with a rifle in hand so anything over 300 yards I'm kind of eh, I'll shy away from so um I didn't get any shot opportunities but what was cool about hunting here for third season is that there's a decent amount of snow on the ground so I was able to hunt some of the same areas that I hunted I've hunted for archery and it really told me a lot of, about how the elk move and how they utilize the terrain. I found some new spots to access. I found some new bedding areas. I found some new trails. Um, I checked out some entirely new pieces altogether, both adjacent to where I was I've, I've hunted a lot and then also just some completely new areas where I've never even been into before. So it was it was just really fun to get out there, put on some miles. I uh, I had some bulls at uh, you know longer shot distances I didn't want to take, and I uh, wasn't able to close the gap because they were either spooked or on the move and just couldn't catch up with them. So uh, either way, it was fun. I still do have my private land cow elk tag, so that runs till the end of January. Hopefully, I'll be able to <laughs> at least get a another time or two to get out and try to at least get some meat in the freezer. That's all I really care about. I don't, I don't care about anything else. I just want some delicious elk meat. So we'll see, uh, stay tuned more, more to come for, for me throughout the rest of the season. All right. Today I have my buddy, John Ferkowitz and I've met, I met him a couple years ago at one of the shows and, uh, we just stayed in touch and he owns his own food plot, a company called Whitetail Select. They're based out of Michigan, 
but during the off season, he uh, he does um, he's been doing some guiding in Illinois uh, for an outfitter there for for a number of years, and um, so I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, this past September, he decided to take the leap of faith and become an elk guide. So he started guiding elk in Colorado for an outfitter out here. So I, I thought it would be an interesting episode to kind of pick his brain on, you know, the similarities, the differences, what he learned uh, dealing with clients, maybe how how he was able to to land a job as a guide and maybe some tips for for somebody else who's looking to to get into it as well and and how you go about that. So this was this is a really fun episode. We got to talk some elk hunting you know, some of the experiences and, and really just learn a lot about the whole um, guiding elk and, and Western hunting in general. So it, it was a lot of fun. Hope you guys enjoy this. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get my buddy John Ferkowitz on the line. Before we begin, today's episode is brought to you by Expedition Archery, manufacturer of the world's finest archery experience. Expedition bows combine aerospace level quality innovative designs, and a fluid feel serious hunters demand. Test drive one today at your nearest archery retailer and view their full lineup at expeditionarchery.com. Why settle for status quo when opportunity and adventure awaits? Make your next hunt an expedition. All right, on the line with us now, we have my buddy John Ferkowitz. How's it going, man? Good. How about yourself, Adam? I'm doing well, doing well. I wish I had an elk on the ground, but you know, this year is not in the cards, so <laughs> I'll have to keep I, trying. I hear <laughs> <laughs> hey man, it's just not easy. Colorado is is uh, you know, I I don't know if I've been talking it up too much and you know putting it on a totem pole as uh, as much as I should, but it just seems like there's more and more people out there, and it's getting a little tougher to find those areas where, where other people haven't gotten into. So it's not easy. I know that. Yep. And that's what I was uh, running into this year out there is I was in an over counter unit and it seemed like every place I turned, I was running into somebody. Oh yeah. Yep. I know it's, it's pretty wild. It's the wild West, man. So it's just, uh, <laughs> just is what it is, I guess it, uh, but fun, fun either way. Anytime you can get out and hit the mountains, it's uh, always a good day. <laughs> oh for sure so uh so what are you up to right now you, you're i know you're in illinois currently you're doing some some guiding it's the the peak of the rut here uh in the in the midwest yep, yep. So, what's uh what's going on yep so yeah i'm working for an outfitter here in illinois i've been working for him for a few years um called illinois connections uh we're right in pike and brown county um but yep come down here for oh mid-october through mid-december trying to chase a few white tail down now do they do they let you do some hunting what in between like hunters coming in and out or late season how does that work it's mainly late season we get to go like after the first gun so got it the first yeah the first four weeks i'm down here i really don't get to hunt a whole hell of a lot yeah i was gonna say you're probably I know, you know, talking with Connor, who you know, you know, guiding at the other place there in Illinois, it's just, it's pretty, it sounds like guiding is a pretty jam-packed, just crazy schedule for about a month and a half, two months, and you really don't have time for anything else. 
Not really, yeah. How our hunts are set up, they uh they start on uh Saturday and Wednesday, so we do a five day hunt, but everybody comes in Friday lunchtime ish. Um then yep. they leave Thursday morning, so we really get oh twelve 18 hours off and that's about it <laughs> <laughs> i know and you're up at the ass crack of dawn you're coming in late dealing with all that um taking care of the guys and getting stuff prepped for the next morning so i'm sure after a month and a half two months of that i'm sure you're just like toast <laughs> oh yeah i i hit that last week and thank god my hunters uh killed early or a couple of them had to leave early so i got a couple extra days of sleeping in and that helped recharge the batteries, but I was running on about empty last week. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, that's cool, man. That's exciting. I've always, I've always wanted to do a little guiding myself at some point, whether it's elk or. Um, I think it'd be cool to to be a whitetail guide as well to kind of kind of get that experience too. But I'm sure, I'm sure you've had a good time. How long have you been doing the guiding thing? So, this would be my fourth year doing it. Okay, cool. And uh, liking it so far, it's been been a good time, huh? Oh yeah, yep. It's it's neat. All the people you get to meet from all over the country, and uh, it's crazy. I mean, how how small the community is actually of hunters. I mean, it's a giant community, but I mean, I run into people that. I mean, I had a guy that was living like a half an hour, forty five minutes from me. That was down there the one year, and uh, we had another guy. I mean. He was hunting literally across the street from me in Iowa uh, a couple of years ago. So, I mean, That's it's just funny. amazing how, yeah. how yeah, how small the hunting industry or world is. It really is. It really is. And uh, you and I actually grew up in the same state of Michigan. You're actually um, not too far from where I grew up, and I have family right around your area. So that's always cool to meet another uh, fellow Michigander. Yep, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we we met. Let's see, what was that? Like two or two or three years ago, we've been we've been booth buddies, uh, booth neighbors at the Great American Outdoor Show for the past two three years. Yeah, that was three years ago. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, it's uh, it's been a blast, and and uh, it's always fun seeing you year after year and hanging out, and you know, consider you a good friend, it makes, John. It makes that nine day show go a lot quicker. <laughs> Some people around. I know it's it's brutal when, uh, yeah, you you said it. Nine days of standing there and talking to people. It uh, definitely helps to have guys like you around to to, to pass the time. <laughs> so, uh, so how did you get into hunting, John? I want to hear a little bit of your background of maybe growing up in Michigan. Uh, has hunting always been in the family? What's uh, what's kind of your backstory there? Yep, yep. So I mean, I grew up. My dad's always been a deer hunter, rabbit hunter. Uh, that's, I mean, we had pheasants back when he was growing up, but we didn't really have many at my time and age. But um, I would say since I was four or five years old, I've been rabbit hunting with dad, and it just progressed into squirrel and then deer and ducks, geese, turkeys. So about the time I could hold a gun or a bow, I was out chasing something. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I know you guys do a lot of farming and, uh, so do you guys hunt 
decent amount of, uh, of your own land? Are you guys hitting public land? What is what does that look like in Michigan? Um, I, around us, I don't have a lot of public, so I, I was blessed that I did grow up on a farm, so I always had a tree line, a small little wood, something to hunt around. But where I'm from, um, we don't have really big blocks of timber. They're 10 acres here, 20 acres there. There are some bigger sections, just not in my area. So it's all mainly tree lines and small little pot holes. Got it. Got it. And and I know the last couple of years, and, and, and I want to move into the to elk guiding and, and, and talking about that, but I know the last couple of years prior, you've done some hunts yourself, chasing elk, um, mule deer. Um, you've been doing that the last couple of years or four or five years. I can't remember. Um, I think it was 2012 was my first time out there. Out okay. West. Wow. Um, and we've been hooked ever since we've been out mule deer hunting, pronghorn hunting, elk hunting. Uh, any chance we get, we head back out West to go chase something down. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's always, always fun to mix it up. I wish I would have started hunting the West a little sooner than I did. I didn't, I didn't really start any sort of elk hunting or mule deer hunting until I moved to Colorado and I kind of kicked myself about that, but it's, you know, never too late to go on your first hunt. And I try to encourage people to do it all the time because it's, it's just something that changes you. It's, it's totally different. Oh, and that's, I always tell my buddies, like, they're like, always, I want to go on an elk hunt. I want to go on an elk hunt. And it's like, if you like turkey hunting, it's pretty much turkey hunting with horns. <laughs> all I can really tell guys. Exactly. Uh, but make sure you're in a little better shape than turkey hunting. Cause usually yeah, by the time spring rolls around. Yeah. You know, there's something, something about, I was talking to my buddy about this the other day. There's something about just being able to walk out of your back door and climb up into a tree stand a couple hundred yards away or like a five, 10 minute walk away from where you park the truck is like, I kind of miss that, you know, like I miss that luxury. Don't get me wrong. I love elk hunting and I love mule deer hunting and, and pounding the mountains and putting on the miles. But there's some days where it's like, damn, I literally just want to go out to my tree stand five, 10 minutes away and, uh, just sit there for a couple hours. <laughs> yep. You, you really got to sometimes hype yourself up to, to drive. You know, that's the other thing. It's like, you know, I live in town, so, you know, sometimes I got to drive an hour or more to get to, you know, a decent elk spot. And then from there you got to hike in half hour, hour, um, usually to a, to a location. So it's like, man, you really need all day. And I kind of miss, I kind of miss just like, okay, I have a couple hours. I'm going to get out to the tree stand, you know? <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And that's the problem with elk hunting too. It's yeah. An hour drive and an hour hike kind of thing, but you got to do all that before daylight also. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. It's crazy. And, uh, and you're dealing with 10,000 feet elevation or 8,000 feet steep ass terrain and and uh a heavy pack usually so it's just just not easy it's not easy at all no no not at all so uh before we get into the to the guiding stuff um you you uh you run and own whitetail select it's a it's a food plot seed company or seed company right yeah yep talk to us about that tell us a little bit about it Yep. So I, I've been working 
for the guy uh, that created the company since I was 19 years old. Um, he decided he wanted to get out of it about five years ago, so I ended up buying it from him. And um, what it is is just same type as a lot of the other companies, but we're designed more for the northern climates. Um, so, like, our clovers are all winter hardy. We'll handle the frost, the snow, the cold. Um, pretty much everything was designed for, like, a Michigan climate. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and, uh, I know I just being next to you at the booth at the great American outdoor show, man, you have a lot of guys coming by picking up seed and, and, uh, a really good client base and just seems like what you're doing. You, you've got a little bit of everything for, for everybody, especially in the Northern stuff, yep, like you said. Yep. And that's mainly what we tried doing. We we came out with a couple new blends this year. Um, just kind of, Whatever buddy's asking for, we try to get in, incorporate it into a blend one way or another. Um, I mean, some of them three, four years down the road before we get the blend together, but uh, we have our tried and true ones, our clovers, the turn up rate, brassica blends. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll pretty much mix anything for anybody if they're looking for something. What's, uh, I know it's kind of off topic, but like, what's, what's the purpose of doing like a blend? Is it to give deer the variety or is it to kind of like offset if one doesn't do as well, maybe the other one, you know, performs better. Like why do you typically do blends like that? Yep. Exactly that reason right there. Um, so yeah, with the blend is say you got a little bit sand your ground. Like we'll just talk about like the clover, um, your red clovers, alfalfas, they have that little bit, deeper tap root um to get down into that moisture a little bit better mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean sometimes just certain things don't take in certain soils uh but having the blend will at least have something in there for you got it got it do you do you find anybody ever doing any food plots for mule deer or elk like here in, like in the rocky mountains like i know like maybe like plains or, you know, states, bordering states that are more in the West and on, on, on low country. But do you find anybody that's like ordering seed for, for like, let's say an elk food plot? Um, typically not because most of those places, uh, are very strict on that. Uh, I know you can't, I can't remember what state it was, but you can't hunt within like a half a mile of a, food plot or something like that oh really wow um yeah they're, they're very strict on that i mean uh you can't just go plant something to draw animals in i mean it has to be a hay field agricultural field um because i was talking to the owner of the place i guided for out in colorado this year and yeah he, he pretty much said that the dnr would hang them if he had a food plot out there for elk really Really, I had I had no idea. So, I, I know there's some laws on it. I I just don't know what laws are in which states out there. I've never really looked into it, but I've talked to a few of the out west guides, and that that's mainly the reason is they can't they can't plant it for drawing elk or mule deer in. It sounds like. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah, it makes sense, especially with the the chronic wasting disease, and it just seems like with elk being a little bit more of a of a herd animal that could be a pretty serious advantage for the uh especially guys with private land you know like yeah basically pulling them all in from miles to <laughs> feed on this 20 acre freaking turnip plot you know <laughs> that would be pretty wild yep yep exactly <laughs> 
Well, cool, man. Well, that's uh, that's awesome to hear that you're you're doing well with the the, the food plot biz, and and uh, it's always always good stuff. And uh, I wish I wish I still had some whitetail ground, or like I was still hunting in Kansas more regularly. I'd I'd probably pick some up from you and start doing that. But unfortunately, I just the whitetail is kind of not a, not as prevalent as it used to be. <laughs> no, but, no, but someday. <laughs> Especially being all the way out in Colorado, you got to good travel before you can find a whitetail. Oh yeah, yep, yep, for sure, for sure. Well, cool, man. Well, I want I want to get into to some of the elk hunting because I know you. This is your first time being a guide this year and kind of taking that step. Um, obviously, you've hunted elk and and been in the West before, but just uh, being a guide would be like a, a totally different ball game and would probably be a, a quite the learning experience. So I'm, I'm really interested to, to hear about that, but how, how I know, I know the story of, of how you got kind of into it, but how did you, um, well, I guess let's back up. How did you first get into the guiding, uh, in Illinois with whitetails? Is that something like you always dreamed of doing? Did you know somebody? Was it something that you just thought it'd be cool to, to do for work um give us a little background on that yeah so i started oh it's probably seven eight years ago with the whitetail thing um ended up leaving my job oh midsummer or whatnot and i started calling around looking for outfitters because i wanted to give it a try uh one called me back in missouri went down there Oh, I probably was only there a month, and it was an awful experience. Really? So, Why is that? The outfitter was really shady. It just, I didn't really like the way he hunted. Uh, it was pretty much just put people in, don't really hunt the winds, just pretty much get them in a spot and let them hunt. It just, I don't know, it chapped me kind of wrong. Um, yeah. The way he went about things, and uh, yeah, I just just didn't really care for it or put a really bad taste in my mouth on that part uh only ended up staying about a month and then i took off and i was like yeah i don't know if that's going to be for me um went back working in the archery pro shops for a few years and ended up i wanted to give it another try uh it was after i bought the food plot business so uh i was selling actually see two Doug down here in Illinois and we were talking one time and he told me if I ever want a guy let him know and like I said at that time I was still working at the archery shop and then a couple of years later I decided to leave and called him up and he's like I could use every guy that I could get so that's awesome that's awesome um so yeah it's really just kind of about putting yourself out there and and kind of if you're interested in doing it make some calls, try to get some connections and, and it sounds like that's, uh, you know, you were in the right, right opportunity there at the right time. Yep. Yep. And I mean, every outfitter is always looking for guides. I mean, this isn't a, it's a hard profession to have, I guess, because you're gone away from home for so long. So usually married guys with kids aren't really, you don't see a lot of guys that are married with kids unless they live right in that area. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, that would that would be a tough aspect of the job, just being just being gone for so long and uh, on months on end, and then you know 
not having the time to to maybe go home because when you got to make hay when the sun shines and when the hunting's good you, you got to be there <laughs> it's not like you can just leave yep, for a week exactly <laughs> yep yep so yeah me i'm eight hours away from home so it's not like i can run home on our day off real quick or whatnot yeah so pretty much you're down here and you're down here for good for a while yep yep makes sense now now at the great american outdoor show this past winter um you had met an outfitter uh you know which we'll talk about here in a bit but tell us a little bit about maybe how you made the transition from whitetail to elk guiding here in the west so it mainly it was i i really enjoy where i'm working here in illinois i mean i i enjoy meeting the new people um i mean hearing their stories and just being able to get them a deer for these guys that have never killed a good whitetail before. Um, and then it goes into being, I love hunting out West. So it's like, eh, why not give it a try out there this year? Um, yeah. and met a guy a couple of years ago, uh, Jeff Musgraves from Colorado. Uh, he was actually one of my booth guys right next to me in the Lansing, Michigan show. So we just got talking, and I see him every year now at the Great American Sports Show, and we were just BSing one day, and uh, I told him I was kind of interested in maybe trying to go out guiding and guiding elk hunts, and he's like, "I got room for you. If you're serious, get out here." <laughs> That's so cool. That's so cool. And what and what's the name of his outfit? Western Outdoor Adventures. Western Outdoor Adventures. Okay, cool. Cool. And yep, up uh, in Meeker, Colorado. Okay. Yeah. No, the northwest part of Colorado is is definitely uh, a, a good area to be. Lots of lots yep. of numbers for sure. So so you met uh Jeff here at the at the show or you'd you'd known him for a little while and you kinda you'd been thinking about it for a while and you finally just just took the plunge. What uh what did that kind of look like as far as like getting prepared to go out there were you were you doing some training were you trying to study some maps um was it just kind of like show up and like here you go here's your first group of clients or did you get a chance to like learn the ground and come out and uh, did you take a summer trip yeah, i came out about two weeks early okay um, so i didn't have hunters until like the 16th of september uh, i think i was out there the first or second september um, so it gave me a chance to get to know the areas. Uh, we were hiking every day, finding water holes. Um, Jeff would show us maps on his properties. He had a little bit of private ground, but he did also hunt BLM land. So he gave us areas to go take a look at. And that was pretty much just putting boots on the ground after that. Were you guys running any trail cameras uh, over the water holes or anything or or No. He, yep, he had them on uh, his private ground stuff. He didn't put any on the public ground stuff. Okay, got it. Yeah, and I remember you telling me, like you said, it's a, it's a mix of both private and public. And um, what's that dynamic look like? I mean, when you bring when you bring people in, are you guys hunting majority private, and then maybe a little bit of public, or is it like fifty fifty split? Uh no. It, we mainly were hunting the private stuff. Um, we could chase onto the BLM if we had to. Um, he had the permit in that area to hunt all the BLM land. Okay. Um, I think he did more of his mule deer hunting on the BLM land. 
there with like rifle season. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were mostly on private. We did try public a few days. If we weren't finding them on the private ground or we were hearing them on the public and we would head that direction. But I would say 75% of the time we were on private ground. Okay. So you show up a couple weeks early and, and, uh, were you able to actually do any hunting yourself the, the first couple of weeks to kind of really learn it? Or is it really just more scouting, walking around, glassing? Like, what, like what, is, what does a typical day look like for you as a new, brand new elk guide for, for this company? So I, I did get to go hunting. Um, I did buy my elk tag or whatnot. Um, we were running into that early September. And it was just hot. Yeah. I mean, it oh, was yeah. 80, 90 <laughs> degrees. It was, they were going to bed before it got daylight out and they weren't coming out till right at dark. So that first two weeks, it, it was very difficult finding elk, um, just because of the temperature. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So like, so did you just do a lot of like glass in then, or were you like actually pounding it pretty hard? I, I was pounding it pretty, pretty hard. I mean, just mainly learning, learning the areas kind of thing, your different draws and your switchbacks and okay, don't go this way because you're never going to make it through that Canyon or whatnot. Just so I knew when the timing did get right, that we're kind of the start yeah, you're kind of almost you're kind of almost you know learning the spots, but then also learning which spots not to go, and maybe learning access routes and and all that. Like, was was the owner or like were you working with any other guides, and they were like kind of showing you the ropes, or was it pretty much like you know you you have this section or this area, and this is yours, you need to learn it on your own. Nope, nope. There was a few of us that were going out um, different days different guys kind of thing um a couple of the other guides were guiding in the high country that early season so they would be there one week and one in another uh but yeah everybody was very helpful and here you need to go here and look at this and elk usually do this kind of thing on this piece of property so got it so you had a little bit of intel there from some of the other guys yeah yep. Yep. jeff like i said he, he was telling me where to go and what to look at and about the same ideas. He just never went out with me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes total sense. So that's cool. It's almost like, you know, you get to kind of, kind of learn, you get some direction, but you get to really learn it yourself. And I feel like that's more rewarding in a sense. And then also like you, you just learn it better and, and you, and you, and yeah. you know the property better if you're doing it that way. So that's pretty neat. Yep, and I'm I'm the same way with like a whitetail. I mean, you can tell me 15 times how this property lays out and how the deer travel, but until I see it for myself, it's it's hard for me to just go off like what people are saying. I I have to kind of see how the things lay for myself. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And is that pretty like, as far as you know, is that pretty typical? Like, if if you are, let's say, a new guide for archery season, like that, that's what they. They kind of want you to do is to come out early and, and, and learn a lot of the terrain and, and that, and then start guiding or just kind of depend. I'm not, I'm not really sure. He's the first one I've ever worked for. So <laughs> yeah. I couldn't, couldn't really tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so after the first couple of weeks of kind of getting out and about and, and learning the terrain, you start having 
clients come in and, and like, so, so what's that dynamic? Like, is that, is that something similar to like your whitetail guiding where you have, you know, like these three or four guys are yours, or is it just like you're doing one-on-one guiding? Is it kind of a mix of, of both? Like, what does that dynamic look like on a, a, maybe a week long hunt? Um, so yeah, whitetail and elk are totally different. Um, I mean, here in Illinois, I'll get four to six guys a week and it's, you go to this farm, you go to this farm, you go to this farm. Um, we ribbon all of our tree stands. So you go hit this fence line, find the ribbon, follow the ribbon down into the woods. Uh, so you're really not there with them. You're just pretty much showing them where to go and then moving them accordingly to what they're seeing. Yeah. Where the elk, it was two on one. So I had two guys, uh, for one guide is how we did it. Um, but you were with them all day, every day. Got it. Got it. So it's a little bit more, um, hands on, I guess. Like, so, so like you said, you're just basically with whitetail stuff, you drop, you're dropping them off. You're kind of showing them where to go, moving them if needed. Um, yeah, you know, but you're, you're never actually a glorified there. Chauffeur. Yeah. Yeah. Got, <laughs> got it. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> but the elk, it's like, you're, you're actually out there, you're hunting with them. Um, so like first day, like, what are you doing? Like, are you, are you, are you glassing? Are you getting right into the thick of it? Um, cause at this point, mid September, it's the rut's starting to pick up, right? Yeah. Yep. So what, so, what did a daily, like, um, what, what, we did what did you was, look yeah, like? Yeah, pretty much we were getting up, we were getting up high, seeing if we could hear them, seeing if we could see them, and then we were trying to make stocks from there. Got it, got it. So, um, so like, what, were you like more of the sit back and call, like, type of guy, or were you just like trying to push in? with them or you say okay we've got them spotted and you just let them go let them try to maybe sneak in like what was kind of your game plan like maybe once you once you saw some elk and kind of got an idea where they were at so how i was trying to do it is and it's just how i've always done it i could spot elk i try getting as close as i possibly can before i really started calling at them Mm -hmm. um try to find a place where we could get set up where it was going to give us the best benefit, not the elk the best benefit. So opening shooting lanes where they can't really get downwind of you. Um, sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. So, yeah. but I would usually try getting in within two, 300 yards before I would start calling at the bull. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, now these guys that were coming out and hunting were these like brand new, never elk hunted before or had these guys that you were working with had they been on a few elk hunts what did that look like i i had both actually so the first group they actually been out hunting a few different times out in colorado montana uh the second group i got had never even seen an elk before <laughs> what was that like with the second group were they uh was that pretty like not like comedic but like was it pretty interesting to see like somebody you know basically hunt elk for the first time and not really knowing anything about it yeah i mean it, it was cool because i think it was first two days were pretty slow that we had they were really warm 
um, day three, it finally cooled off, and we we got into a good group of elk, a pretty good herd of them, and we had, oh, I want to say there's 10, 12 different bulls in that herd. Wow. Um, all screaming, and I mean, I don't think the, the father of the group, the older guy, I don't think he quit smiling for two days after that. <laughs> That's so cool. So, he's like, I've always wanted to see that. I've always seen it on the videos. That, um, I even told him, I was like, that's probably the most elk I've had in one group, all all screaming. There was three really good bulls, uh, probably all 300-plus inch, and then there was probably five or six, like three-by-threes, four-by-fours, just smaller ones in that group. And everybody was screaming. They were just pretty much circling their cows out in this meadow. And we just, we ran out of cover on them. We could get in, I think we got to about 250 yards and, there was just nowhere else for us to go, and we pretty much just sat back and watched it. That's still cool. I mean, to for for to be able to experience that. I mean, hunting private land is probably a totally different ball game than than uh, you know public sometimes. But being able to to see that type of show that's that's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Yeah, it was. So, so like, uh, talk to me a little bit about the dynamic of where you were staying. Was this like a higher end lodge is it like like a rustic like farmhouse is it more like cabins hotel rooms like what what did what did your lodging stay look like and and as well as like the guests so where we were at i did two different ones so i did high country and we are in wall tents we had three different wall tents one cooking two sleeping uh the other one was uh we were down on the private ground lower land stuff um and we just he had a little house in town that he bought it had a couple bathrooms i think four or five bedrooms so i mean not much different than just a regular little house yeah yeah that's cool um i remember i remember seeing pictures that you posted of of going in on horseback is that where you're talking about where you did the the high country hunt yep yep we're six miles up or six miles back in or something like that wow that's so cool i've always wanted to do and i and i will do it at some point i've always wanted to do a a pack in you know horse hunt i think that would just be that's kind of like you know when you picture like the epitome or like the i don't know for me at least the apex of like true elk hunting i just think of going in on a horse and wall tents and and being up at you know ten thousand feet aspen's blown in the wind and and really getting that full experience it sounds like that's exactly what you had yep that was so yeah we were i think it was like six miles up i think we we're at 9500 feet um but yeah pretty much that it was it was interesting i haven't rode a horse in oh probably 10 15 years so <laughs> that, that was interesting and i haven't rode a horse that far ever either <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say that. How how long is six miles on a horse? Is that half a day? Is it a couple it like, hours? I think it was like two and a half, three hours to get up there. Wow, wow, that's got to be so cool though. What was that like riding on a horse? I think I'd be a little bit. Uh, it, it's been a long time since I've ridden a horse, but I think I'd be a little bit on edge at least for the first thirty minutes. Oh, it was. It was like oh sweet. And the nice thing <laughs> these were like trail horses. Um, so, I mean, you pretty much didn't have to do anything. You just let them follow the one in front of them. So, I mean, 
that was the that was the nice thing where all I had to do was make sure his head kept up from eating all the time. Yeah. <laughs> because they would want to stop and eat and then they would want to trot and that didn't feel well either. So. Got it. Got it. So like so the different it sounds like you have two different basically different styles of hunts almost. Like you had one that was basically living in town out of a house and then hunting the private ground and then you had this one where you packed in to the wilderness or national forest six miles on horseback and and wall tent like how how is that decided like is that the customer or the client says hey i want to do a, a high country hunt and with with wall tents and that's what you provide or and then this customer or this client wants something a little bit easier or closer to town like how does how does that shake out yep so jeff um he just bought another outfitter out, so this was his first year for the high country stuff. Ah, okay. Um, but that's, I'm assuming more how it was, was do you want to ride horses back in and then hike from there, or do you want to drive a truck or a ranger into the property and hike from there? Um, I mean, the lower ground stuff, we were at 7,500, I think, 7,700. Um we had some decent hikes, but I mean, flat, to slightly inclines were about what we were walking. It wasn't anything super crazy. Yeah. Where yeah. the high country, I think it was pretty much you had to be, I don't want to say you had to be in shape, but I think more of the in shape people were going up to do that one. That makes sense. That makes sense. And, uh, as far as price points between those two hunts, I mean, do you know what the cost, let's say a, a private land, you know, elk hunt would be versus a horseback pack in wall tent in the wilderness area? Like, are they similar price points or I, I believe, costs? I believe you ran them the same price, I think. Really? Okay. Uh, I think they're both like 3,800 bucks, four grand right around that price range. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, yeah, it's a it's a cool cool dynamic. I've had a, a different outfitter, um, Cliff Gray with Flat Tops Wilderness Outfitters. They're close to Eagle here, and um, I've had him on on the show, and it's pretty pretty cool to 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 hear about like the different offerings and you know what you can provide as a as a service. And um, does he do anything with like just strictly like packing people in spike camps, or is it strictly just like one on one guiding only? No, he, he does DIY camps or whatnot. Uh, so he was doing the private ground. I think the first two weeks he did the private ground down in the lower part as DIYs. And then he was doing a few of his high country camps. I think he had six high country camps there. Um, and he would put maybe two DIY guys groups up there at a time. You wouldn't fill every single camp. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm sure it's kind of a balance too of like not getting too many people in there where there's so much pressure versus you know trying to make some money at the same time. So that's I'm sure it's a fine line yeah, balance. Yeah, we never ran the same camp two weeks in a row. So um, I think every I think he was running two camps, two camps, two camps, just so you weren't on top of each other, and it would give those camps a little bit of a break. Cause yeah. You know, just as well as anybody, you push out too much and they won't be back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're definitely definitely gone. Um, 
Yeah, from from what I was experiencing down here in southwest Colorado for the past 2019 archery season, uh, it seemed like it seemed like the rut was pretty late. Like in regards, not necessarily late, but it seemed like we didn't get that early September, uh, you know, bugling and and rutting action like we did the previous years. And it seemed like it was kind of more like the third and even in mainly the last week where it really just kind of broke loose finally. Um, did you have a similar experience like where it was kind of really slow the first like couple weeks and then it kind of picked up after that? Yep. Yep. Exact same thing up there. Um, like I said, that the first two weeks, it was hard to get anybody to use bugle. Um, I think that like right around the 14th, 15th, we finally got some cold, uh, I mean, freezing mornings under thirties or whatnot. And it, it fired them up a little bit, but we were about the same. It wasn't until that last week of September that, uh, the rut finally really hit by us. Yeah, and I, and and I've I've been kind of just trying to wrap my head around like why that is like like I've I've had more elk on trail cameras this year than than ever like we had a really wet summer which was great for the elk antler development and then also just it just seemed like the numbers of elk I mean um, you know scattered throughout national forest BLM both private and public was just re- really good numbers because of how much feed there was but. What I think with the downfall to this season was the just like lack of variety and weather. Like every single freaking day was bluebird, you know, it's hot, you know, during the day, but it was just bluebird, bluebird sky. And we didn't have like any snow or like a storm or rain. It was just kind of just mellow yellow. And I think that, you know, just like whitetails or whatever, you get those. Hit, watch those different fronts and you get a system come in like right after that it can be pretty pretty damn good it's like a light switch we never really got that this fall in Colorado it's what I don't know maybe my hunch is telling me no so, I mean it's about the same where we were at too so yeah um yeah. I think the first two weeks I was there it rained one day and that was about it <laughs> I know I know it's uh it's about about the same here um, as well. So like, as far as, um, how did you guys do? Did you, for, for your first year, were you able to get any guys on anyone at full draw, any shot opportunities? How, how did that all um, shake out? Yep. So we had, um, what was the first hunt? We, we had one at full draw. We just couldn't get, just came in on the wrong side of the tree or whatnot and just couldn't couldn't get the arrow in them or uh but good bull up in the high country uh the second hunt we had one guy uh he hit it high like in the no man's land uh, above yeah. the, or like back straps area and then the other one came to full draw but uh where we were at i don't know about you but we need four points on one side yeah yeah uh he couldn't see the fourth point. It was only probably three, four inches. Uh, I was 50 yards behind him with the binoculars saying, shoot, shoot, shoot. But <laughs> he definitely couldn't hear me saying that. <laughs> but uh, it was just in that low light and he couldn't see it. And he made the right call. Yeah. Yeah. If you're unsure, definitely don't risk it. That's uh, 
That's for sure. Um, well, it sounds like you got into some exciting encounters and, and, you know, that's, I tell people all the time, it's like, you know, cause I don't do any guiding, but I do the cabin rentals where, you know, I have different groups of hunters come in and that rent the cabins for, for hunting. But, you know, I, I tell everybody that comes in, I like, you have to capitalize. You're going to get, you're going to get one opportunity. Most likely you're going to get yep. an opportunity and it's whether or not you can capitalize on that. You might get to full draw. You might just not have a clear lane. You might have a bull come in and, uh, you know, but he might, you might not be able to tell if he's legal or not. You might have something where you, you shoot and you miss or you shoot and you, you hit him, crack him in the shoulder and there's no penetration. Most likely if you hunt hard enough, you will have some sort of opportunity just whether or not you can, <laughs> you can make it happen. And that's why the success rates are so low. Yep. You got to be able to capitalize on that opportunity. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a totally different ball game. Well, it sounds like, it sounds like you guys were able to get in some action and, and, uh, you know, uh, really experience the, the rut of, of archery season here in Colorado. That's pretty neat. Yeah, it, it was pretty cool. Like the first couple of weeks I was there, I was like, Oh God, what I get myself into just cause being that hot, not seeing them, you're like, Oh crap, this is going to be bad when hunters get in. But like I said, we finally hit that, that switch where the temperature started dropping and the rut really started kicking in and, uh, then it made it a lot, a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. So like from like more of a business perspective, um, like what, what did that look like? So like the first couple of weeks you weren't really guiding per se, like were you getting paid or was it more along the lines? Like you get access to hunt kind of, and then learn the terrain and we'll put you up at a spot to stay or were you getting paid that, at the same time? That's or? what it was with me. Kind of thing. Yeah, oh, got it. Oh, some of the other guys were packing in and they were getting paid to do that. But I just mainly wanted to, they were all out there from August setting up like the spike camps and, they knew the Got area it. a little bit better, so they were still packing stuff up for the other hunters. Uh, but me, I just pretty much use it as a free hunt, I guess. I got yeah. to go run around the mountains for two weeks and uh, didn't get paid to be there, but didn't have to pay to be there. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. And um, And then as far as, like, when you actually start guiding clients, are you – are you paid like on a, on a weekly basis? Is it more like based on tips? Like what, you don't have to re- reveal any numbers. I'm just, how, how does that typically work for an elk guide such as yourself? So yep. Um, we got paid salary like per week we guided and then we got tips on top of it. Got it. Got it. So kind of probably similar, a little bit similar to what you do in the, on the whitetail side, similar kind of structure. Yep. Yep, very similar. Um, we got paid more to be out guiding the elk, um, but he also paid for the gas, and he paid a little bit better per week, but you were only running two hunters. So, like here, I'm running four to six hunters. You usually get a lot better on tips. You're not getting as much on the salary. Got it, got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um well, it sounds like, you know, guiding elk for somebody who maybe wants to get into elk hunting or is maybe, let's say, they're a seasoned whitetail hunter or maybe they've been on an elk trip or something before 
sounds like it could be a really good opportunity for somebody to really learn the ropes and 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 figure out elk country and archery elk hunting it by maybe working for an outfitter or becoming a guide yep and then that's that's the main reason i want to do it was just get a little bit more experience um i mean i went with outfitters before hunting um and i had my own guide so i was trying to pick up as much from them but uh, it was just something I wanted to learn to become a better elk hunter is getting out there, getting more interactions instead of a five day hunt. Now I get a whole month out there to see, see the different types of rut, see the different trains, uh, the high country stuff to the lower desert stuff. Uh, it was more just for the experience for me than anything. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, that's a, definitely a good, uh, I, as a guide, you know, you know more or you probably learn more than you can in four years of doing a, 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 you know, a week hunt on your own. Like you said, you just get so much variety. You get to so many, see so many different styles. Um, you get, you really get the full spectrum in a very short amount of time. And I'm sure that can, can really help (laughs) going forward for sure. Oh yeah. And another big thing working for an outfitter too is I mean, he knows his area. You know you're going to be an elk. Yeah. Um, so you have elk in there to work with. I know a lot of guys that went out west, and they might hear one bugle in a 10-day hunt yeah. kind of thing. So yeah. it makes it a lot harder to communicate with them if you can't find them. So yeah. Yeah, makes total sense. Kind of shortens the, the learning curve. And that's really, in my opinion, 75 to 80% of the battle is just – freaking finding those animals i mean it's just oh for sure (laughs) it's such a struggle and i'm sure you kind of ran into that you know there's probably just some days where you're just like man i can't seem to even hear an elk see an elk doesn't matter what i'm doing it's just kind of how it is yeah and you would be in those areas i mean where there's uh i mean elk droppings everywhere i mean rugs uh beds you got a water hole and you're like they got to be in here. Where are they at? And and we can't even get one to make a peep. And you could see 10 miles, it seemed like, and you still couldn't find one. It's like, (laughs) it it, it was frustrating on those days where, like, there has to be elk in here. Uh, But you just, they might have been over the next hill. Uh, They might have been who knows where. So Yeah, yeah. Are people pretty, pretty understanding, like, of that, like especially like the guys that never elk hunted before, like were they kind of aware how tough it actually is, even though you know you're with an outfitter, like were they kind of more like appreciative and and like man, we we actually did have a really good hunt, or were they kind of like ah, you know, we should have been getting into elk every day. Um, I think the guys that never hunted before, like if we would have kept going the way we were, if we didn't find that good group of elk they might have started getting really frustrated because that's the biggest problem with watching the outdoor channel or whatnot. I mean, when they go elk hunting, they're in elk. Yeah. But you don't know how many failed hunts they had before that, before they got that. <laughs> so that is the biggest problem with, I guess, guys that have never done it before is expectations. Go out there and run into elk. Yeah. Yeah. Expectations. Like, yeah. A couple I mean, guys that actually been hunting before, I mean, they kind of know the ropes. I mean, 
some days you're into them, some days you're not. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like the real advantage with an outfitter. I mean, like I think people do have the the expectation that you know, oh, I'm I'm hunting private land. Uh, you know, I need to be an elk every day or I should be an elk every day, but I see, but you can attest to that for sure. It's just not, it's just not the case. But I think the real advantage to an outfitter is, is the support, you know, like you get an animal down or, uh, or you need it to pack in somewhere. Um, or you got somebody who doesn't have the experience you have somebody who kind of knows the land and and i feel like it's more the support than necessarily like better elk numbers or maybe encounters obviously there's that but i feel like the support side is is where the real value add is oh god yeah i mean because like that high country one i mean if you kill one and you got a pack at six miles out i mean that two days worth of work for one elk whereas (laughs) I mean, if we got one shot, we give a phone call and say, hey, we got one down, and they bring the horses up, bring the horses right to where we shot it, and pack it out for us. So, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Um, that was really nice there, but, I mean, mainly the thing is they've been doing it for long enough. They know where the elk are going to be. They might not be there that day, maybe not even that week, but they will show up in this place, this place, this place, if you give it the time. So, yeah. Makes total sense. Now, uh, be- before you started guiding elk in Colorado, were there any things that you had to do, like on the regulatory side? Like, did you have to get a certain license? Were you required to do any, like, ex- training? I-, I I have absolutely no clue. Did you have to do any sort of anything to, to become an elk guide underneath a licensed outfitter, or was it pretty much just show up and you're ready to go? In Colorado, all I had to do was, um, I think, be CPR certified. Okay. Um, we just had to go through a CPR class or whatnot and have our CPR cards. Uh, but that was the only thing I needed on top of his endorsement, I guess. Yeah. Um, to become a guide out in Colorado. I know Wyoming, you have to take a test, I believe, um, to be, be a guide. But every state, I think, is there's different rules and regs for what it becomes to be a guide. But you didn't have to like necessarily like pay like a, a license fee or buy get like an actual guiding license certificate or anything. It was just CPR and that's it. Yep, yep. And we had to carry a card saying we were we were a guide for Western Outdoors Adventure. So if we got stopped or whatnot, but okay. yeah, there was no going taking classes, getting a license or whatnot. Got it. So it seems seems pretty straightforward as far as just working as a guide underneath a licensed outfitter. It seems like it's it's pretty uh, pretty simple to do there um, in that regard. Yep. So, well, that's cool, man. That's cool. So, what uh, what does next year look like? Are you uh, are you thinking about doing it again? Are you not sure? Are you thinking maybe trying a different state? What uh, what's twenty twenty entail? Um. I'd really like to try Wyoming, where I hunted in the past, kind of thing. Um, yeah. Last year, that's where I was actually trying to get into was Wyoming, uh, but Wyoming takes a few years to draw tags. So one year they might have twenty hunters that drew, the next year they might only have six. Um, so it kind of really depends on the year. Uh, they didn't have a lot of hunters last year, so I wasn't able to go to Wyoming. 
Um, but I, I don't know. Wyoming's always been – we've been going there for the last almost eight years, and it's just the state I really like out in, out in the West. Yeah, yeah, I've heard good things. I, I definitely myself need to start trying to build up some points in these other states such as Wyoming or Arizona or – wherever where it's because like I know it's a totally it can be a totally different ball game when you when you have a, a draw hunt versus you know anybody can show up from New York or Michigan to to buy an over-the-counter tag here and it's that's what makes it tough you know there's a lot of elk in Colorado but when you get to some of these other states like Wyoming uh, that can be I've heard can be some pretty magical stuff yeah and that's kind of why I like Wyoming better. I'll tell anybody that if you have a choice, go to a place that you got to get a pointer to at least to draw an elk tag. Yeah. Um, because those over-the-counter units, you got to think about it. I mean, every every person from the west or the Midwest, East Coast, they can go to those same over-the-counter units as you can. And like the guys in Colorado that didn't draw the unit they wanted they go to those units also. Yeah, yeah. So that that, that was my biggest problem is being in those over-the-counter units. We were just running into people all the time. It just, it was nonstop, it seemed like. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And they weren't maybe on the private ground, but like the one morning we had elk bedded and or we watched them bed down. We were kind of trying to make a game plan for the afternoon, and here comes a guy on the public side walking kind of the fence and the wind blew right down to the batting area and off we're gone. So yeah. it was just little shit like that, that it was frustrating. Yeah. So. Yeah. Understand. Um, but overall you, you felt it was a positive experience and, and, uh, you definitely probably do it again to some, some sort of extent. Oh, for sure. Yep. I, I definitely would like to go back and, try at least a couple more times um, until I'm to the point where I say enough is enough and I just want to go hunting. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So. Exactly. Well, that's really cool, man. That's uh, that's great. And, uh, like I said, I, I've, I've learned a lot just from, from hearing you talk about some of these things and, and uh, you know, it just kind of piques my interest at some point. I, I want to do some guiding of my own and uh, I think it would be be pretty neat it'd be a totally different ball game and uh because like I, I always think like myself i'm like the best worst hunter like i can get people on elk like i can find elk that's like not my problem my problem is trying to get those things killed and uh <laughs> that's where i struggle so i feel like i could take what i know and as a guide the pressure's off you to make the shot you know you just got to get them in the zone yep. i feel like i'm decent at that uh, so I, I don't know. I kind of like to put it to the test on more of a professional level. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I mean, and the big thing with guiding is you got to stay positive. I mean, yeah. that is, I mean, if you start getting frustrated, your clients can pick up on that. It doesn't matter if it's elk hunting, deer hunting, duck hunting, turkey hunting, fishing. Um, that is the big thing with the whole guiding is just, you got to stay positive. Yeah. Um, because yeah, like I said, your, your hunters, if you're starting to get frustrated because you can't find the elk, your hunters start picking up on that. 
And yeah. uh, just, oh, well, we just got to try another spot in the morning. We'll see if anything else over here. And you got to keep doing that until you can run into something. Yeah. And then then go from there. So. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it's about, just staying, staying after it. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've killed a lot of animals on the last day, the last hunt you know, of a week long, you know, trip. It's just, it's just how it goes. I mean, you really just have to grit it out and, and, and stay after it. And, and with guiding private or public, I'm, I'm sure it's no different. Oh yeah. And that, that was exactly like my first elk hunt I ever went on was in Wyoming. And, uh, my dad killed the second day. My brother killed the third day. I took it down to the last two hours on the fifth day or whatnot. <laughs> and, I think it the first two days, we barely even got out of the truck. Uh, it was foggy, snowy. We weren't finding them. And then the last three days, everywhere we turned, we found out kind of thing. So, and my dad's like, I kind of wish I would have put mine off until like day four, day five. He's like, you got the whole experience of the hunt. I had to sit back at the cabin because I was already <laughs> yeah. done whatnot. So... Yep, yep, exactly. You learn a little bit more when you can drag it out a few more days. That's uh, it, it gets a little bit more stressful when you start dragging it. Ah, uh, yeah, that's the other trade off. It's like, man, I've been getting up at three a.m. for the past six days. I don't, I want to sleep in because I'm freaking dead tired and don't feel like doing this anymore. But hey, if you get up, you never know what's gonna happen. <laughs> Can't kill him on the couch. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Well, cool, man. Um, well, I'm looking forward to seeing you again here and not too, too far off in the next two, three months. We'll have to, you're going to do the show again, right? Oh yeah. Yep. I'll be there for sure. So. Sweet. Sweet. Well, we'll have to have some beers, get together and, and, uh, help pass the time of the nine day monster. Oh yeah. <laughs> Try not to get sick in between all of it. So. Yeah, exactly. So you're gonna wrap up the guiding here in the next like two two weeks. Is that is that in, in Illinois? Uh we got so we got one more week of bow hunting. Um the guys are coming in tomorrow. And then Illinois, how Illinois works, it has three different gun seasons. It has a three day shotgun, a four day shotgun, and then a three day muzzle loader. So one more week bow season then we got our first gun and then they give you uh, like a two-week period in between thanksgiving um so a lot of us go home for thanksgiving or whatnot and then we come back for the second shotgun and then the muzzle order season got it got it cool man well it sounds like you gotta got some some hunts to come and and uh sounds like it's gonna be a lot of fun so oh yeah that first shotgun's always crazy (laughs) <laughs> three three days of pure chaos is what we call it. Oh, yeah. We'll have 35, 40 guys in camp hunting, and we'll kill 20 bucks in three days. So That's crazy. Just, you don't really sleep for three days. It's, more, it's dragging, tracking, skinning, taping, uh, running hunters. It's just it's three days of chaos. Oh, yeah. Sounds like it. So, I bet. I bet. That's wild. Well, cool, man. Well, I hope it all goes well, and and I appreciate you coming on the show, John, and and, uh, great talking with you, and we'll talk to you soon, all right? Sounds good. Thanks for having me, bud.
All right, and there it is, another episode down. Thanks again for tuning in to everybody listening. Really appreciate you, and, and hope you enjoyed that. I've 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 actually kicked around the idea for a while of maybe just maybe just doing a, a working for an outfitter for just like a week rifle season or something. I think it'd be kind of cool, you know, take a take a week off of work and and then and then go just experience what it would be like. I've I've always kind of had that itch, and I think after doing this podcast, John's kind of you know really nudging me towards that and and we'll see maybe maybe i'll i'll make something happen for next year and 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 go that route so you never know but hope you guys really enjoyed that i i know i learned a lot and for those of you maybe considering either becoming a guide breaking into the industry um you know just becoming more involved in hunting if you've got some experience you're a hard worker Go to some of these shows. Go to some of these sports shows in the winter. Uh, they have them all around the country. Uh, every single state pretty much has some sort of deer and turkey or big game show, whatever. And uh, talk to some of these outfitters. Talk to some of these guides. And and if it's something you're interested in doing, it's not a bad way to to kind of to to break into the industry. And um, you know, with that, you get some perks. Like like John said, he gets to he gets to hunt. You know, he gets to learn elk uh, a lot better um you know becoming a guide outfitter uh definitely leads to some perks as far as gear and and products and and working with companies so uh just kind of my two cents just throwing it out there it's a it's a it's a really cool way to make make some connections learn uh learn some hunting and uh make some money while you're at it too so uh let me know if if any of you guys are listening and and become a guide Love to love to hear about it. It's uh, it's always fun to, to talk about that stuff. All right, I I won't bore you guys any longer. Again, I appreciate everybody tuning in. Hope everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving. And uh, you know, don't start your Christmas shopping too early. Wait till the last second, like I do. Don't uh, don't do that Black Friday stuff. It's just a waste of time. <laughs> nah, just kidding. Uh, get get your shopping done early. Don't don't be like me. But. Uh, Yeah, I hope you guys have a great holiday. Thanks again to our partners, Expedition Archery, Skull Brew Coffee, and Outdoor Edge Knives. All right, thanks again. Talk to you soon.